BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends and neighbors, and welcome. Welcome to this week's Bill Press Pod Table coming to you from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital where we gather with three of the Washington Press Corps' finest on this Friday, August 30, to look back at the news of the week. One thing for sure, in the era of Donald Trump, there is never a dull week in Washington. This week, no exception. President Trump returned from the G7 to land in the middle of yet another hurricane heading for Puerto Rico, wildfires destroying the rainforest, and his former communications director leading a campaign to kick him out of the White House. Meanwhile, only 10 Democrats, not 20, only 10 qualified for the next debate, leading one candidate, Kirsten Gillibrand, to drop out. Who's next? We've got it all covered with today's panel. Hunter Walker, White House correspondent for Yahoo News. Hello, Hunter. Hey, how are you? Good to see you. Addie Baird, political reporter for BuzzFeed. Hi, Addie. And Jason Dick, managing editor for The Great Roll Call. Just back from the uh, Iowa State Fair with uh, lots of stories to tell, I'm sure. Good morning, Bill. Hello. Good to see you. Yeah. Hello. Hello. All right. So a little breaking news. Um, Yesterday, suddenly, um, the revolving door of the White House spins yet again. Madeleine Westerhout, whom most people probably never heard of, a very important job at the White House. She was the president's personal secretary. The person sat right out at the desk, right outside the door to the Oval Office. Suddenly resigned and the White House announced that she was not welcome back to the White House today, not even to pick up her stuff. What the hell happened? Or Hunter, Hunter's a White House correspondent, yeah. I mean, so apparently there was this um, chatter about an off-record dinner with reporters at the President's Golf Club in Bedminster where she, you know, talked out of school. And somehow this got back to the White House. I think we, we were just talking earlier. I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in how a supposed off-the-record conversation with reporters and a staffer gets back to the White House. But, but that seems to have been her undoing. Uh, and she apparently told stories about the president's family, personal story about the president's family. And that's a very, I mean, particularly, I, I don't know the specifics. I was not in yep. Bedminster and, and, you know, I may or may not have ever met her and I'll keep that actually off record. <laughs> but, you know, um, that is a really hard line for the White House, particularly if it involves Melania and Barron. So that yep. definitely could be something that could get someone in trouble. Um, she had a really interesting rise. Um most people did not know her name. It's in fact, it's a really important job in the White House that generally goes under the radar, except when sort of Betty Curry got caught up in the Lewinsky scandal mm. and later adopted the Clinton's cat. Um, why they gave away socks, I don't know. Um, but that was that, that was a scandal to young Hunter, let me tell you. Um, but she actually first got on everyone's radar in those really early days during the transition when Trump was having those roving meetings in the lobby. Mm. And 
almost every photo you see of someone to visit Trump, they were accompanied by this striking young woman. And that was Madeline. And it was really funny because we were all sitting there in the lobby watching everyone come in and out. Some of the reporters were kind of smitten with her, but also the photographers were like, we need to caption this. Who is that? Who is that? And it turned out to be young RNC aide Madeline Westerhout, hmm. who then gets tapped to be the president's secretary. I, I feel like he must have noticed her walking all those people up as well. Um, but you know what? She actually had a pretty long run in Trump White House terms. What does it say, Addie, about the amount of loyalty that Donald Trump is able to inspire among his closest aides? Well, that's this the is, thing. She's the last of a long list of people who have turned on him. Well, and it's interesting. This is something that Trump has always demanded. He's he's always demanded loyalty from the people around him. And honestly, it, you know, even though sh we see this revolving door all the time, a lot of the time these aides leave and remain very loyal. Um, you know, you have Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who, you know, remains incredibly uh, loyal to the president. And that's what Trump demands and that's what he wants is is ultimate loyalty uh, sarah huckabee sanders yes omarosa no <laughs> right <laughs> and now scaramucci we'll get to that a little bit later no but uh jason yeah i i, I think one of the things that it it underscores for me though also is that it is there is a a line you know in any white house and i mean we, we i mean obviously the trump white house has been unique uh in in so many ways but I think that if this was the Obama's personal secretary, or this was President Obama's like personal secretary, and she had you know sort of talked out of turn about uh, you know Sasha or some you know or, or, or Maria mm -hmm. or, or or Michelle Obama, I think that that also would have that person probably would have been fired too. Yes, I mean, I mean, and, and so it's, yeah. so this, this is, is this is a this normal is surprisingly scandal. normal. Right. Yeah, right. this is so normal. So I mean, I think we can agree she should not have had this. A dinner or just spilled the beans on the family and the reporter should not have outed her to the White House. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were saying before, I think one of the only ways this could have happened that involved ethical journalism is if another reporter caught wind of the dinner who was not part of the off record mm -hmm. and then talked about it. But, but someone broke sort of a, a journalistic code. I mean, you know. That's that seems pretty clear. Or, right. or I mean, you know, again, I haven't been to Bedminster and seen every nook and cranny, <laughs> but like it, it is, it's not to me, it's not out of the question that somebody overheard uh, th this dinner going on, especially. I mean, like these, I mean, certainly Mar-a-Lago has its you know share of just open spaces where people really do feel free to just talk, and it's like you're you know we can hear you. It's like right. Scott Pruitt's uh, thing, you know, soundproof thing. It, actually, you can hear it. <laughs> okay, hear it. so it was just last weekend, and Biarritz, France that the president was there with the uh, leaders of the G7. Uh, according to uh, Donald Trump, that meeting was all about love and unity, especially <laughs> love for Donald Trump. Yes, all of them, and Putin. Uh, what really went on, Hunter? I mean, you didn't see that, that, that you know, press conference where Angela Merkel declared that, you know, he's the most tremendous and virile and... <laughs> Best businessman we've ever seen on the, the world grossest stage. Word. Please don't strike that from the record. <laughs> um, no, but you know, he, he, it was really fascinating to watch him. Uh, like, there were like two parallel worlds, right? The 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 
the world he was reflecting from the G7 and <laughs> what we saw from everybody else. Yeah, I mean, you know, the most bizarre instance was this climate uh, change meeting where he said he couldn't go because he was with Merkel and Modi and, and no, they were actually at the meeting that he skipped. Um, but you could really see <laughs> on stark display who President Trump is comfortable with um, among mm. our traditional allies and who he's not. And the answer is he's not comfortable with most of them. I mean, with Shinzo Abe, the White House actually scheduled an extra press conference. With Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, who you may remember Trump trashed after the last G7, yes. Trump spoke with him publicly for three minutes and they took no questions. Um, on this whole thing with Russia and the G7, Trump was saying a lot of people agree with me, we should let Russia back in. When reporters asked him, who agrees with you? He had no answers. And the only person who actually publicly agreed with him was the Italian prime minister who's about to resign. So, you know, there was there was not a lot of, you know, great photo ops for the president at this event. One right? thing that was also striking to me, too, is that it with, uh, you know, much has been made of British prime minister Boris Johnson and what a disruptor he is. And, you know, he can't comb his hair and blah, blah, blah. But and and certainly Trump has gravitated towards Boris and 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 said like this is a sort of a I have a kinship with this person but and there was an off mic moment <laughs> where uh, Emmanuel Macron the president of France and Boris Johnson were were discussing the, this this awkward you know moment with the with the hit all the leaders in which they all systematically shot him down about bringing Putin back in and he and he said something along the lines of well played you know that was very awkward but you played it well Emmanuel and 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 then you know like you know Johnson you know kind of once he sees the public he puts it on his his, his like wrestling mask of like this buffoonish you know sort of prime minister but he, he was you know he was right there with the other six right so one of, in, in terms of uh, the world's economy discussed, of course, at the G7, there was a lot of concern about uh, Donald Trump and the tariffs against China uh, and an ensuing trade war. But the president made it clear uh, there at the G7 that there was not going to be any trade war because China had called him basically to apologize. Here All he is. All China. <laughs> China called last night our top trade people and said, let's get back to the table. So we'll be getting back to the table, and I think they want to do something. They've been hurt very badly, but they understand this is the right thing to do, and I have great respect for it. I have great respect for it. This is a very positive development for the world. So, Eddie, China later said, China said, I didn't call. <laughs> Nobody... <laughs> This reminds me of junior high. It's like I have this anthropomorphic Iowa in my T-shirt. It's like Iowa called, China called. China said, I didn't call. And then the White House aides insisted that said, well, they didn't really call. The president said that because he was afraid the market was going to crash farther because of tariffs. And he wanted to goose the market a little bit. So he said, China called. And of course, the market responded positively. Hello. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about it. Like, but it's interesting. He has a long history of lying about phone calls. Like, he has a long history of lying about everything. But remember when he was like, the head of the Boy Scouts called me and the Boy Scouts were like, no, we didn't. Like, this is this is like a class. This is like a favorite lie of his is the phone call that never actually happened. And, and Jason, some people have suggested that this trying to manipulate the market is actually illegal. 
Yeah, I, I, something tells Although me if the, we're if talking the, Donald Trump. Yeah, so. something that tells me if, if somebody at the New York Stock Exchange had said that in a public forum to the Wall Street Journal, say, or CNBC, they'd probably you know get a call from the SEC. <laughs> but but this is the president, so he can you know he's proved he can just do anything he wants now, uh, and it, and it's it's kind of. It's a little alarming, uh, but I've just learned to stop looking at my 401k. And Hunter, <laughs> Hunter, in that weekend, mm-hmm. President Xi went from being the enemy of the United States to my best friend. Well, the, or is, the, he, is he both, I guess? I, I don't know. You know, Trump asked, who is, who is doing worse for the market, my own Fed chairman or President Xi? Um, but, you know, on, on this phone call thing, I mean, first off, I think we were touching on something really interesting, which is that in the course of the past two years and change, we have really learned, and, and some reporters, I think, knew about this beforehand because there had been hints of it, but... You know, most of the ethic regulations and the ethics regulations and the agencies tasked with enforcing them in this country are fairly toothless, whether it's the FEC, whether it's Mm -hmm. the SEC. Um, you know, they're really, uh, you know, I, I, this, this hit me once uh, in the 2012 race when I caught Paul Ryan in a blatant FEC violation and it just, nothing happened, you know? And so I think that one thing that happens on cable news and we need to explain to people is you'll get, you know, the outrage of like, he violated a norm and it might break a law. And then people see that nothing happens. And and it's not because the law wasn't broken, but it's because the enforcement mechanism is not there at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, but back to this question at hand, I think, you know, on this one, I think the president might you know, the, China called me is such a bizarre term, but but most of the sources that I've talked to have said that there really is a lot of ongoing communication there. Mm-hmm. He probably was sort of overhyping this. I mean, when he says it in that context, we're kind of assuming that Xi got on the phone with him. Um, but conversations haven't stopped. I think the most interesting comment he had on the trade war at the G7 was actually when he was asked, are you worried about the stock market going down? And it was a question he was not capable of addressing at all. He totally shifted to saying um, the market's doing fantastic, hmm. which isn't exactly true, but he can't even confront the possibility that it might go down because that's just so intrinsic and important to his reelection campaign. So no matter how successful this G7 summit might have been it's going to pale in comparison to next year's g7 (laughs) which will be held of course at the donald trump property it looks like the doral uh, golf course uh, bed bug manor bed bug manor (laughs) (laughs) which of course the president does deny outside of miami um, a, a lot of people seem to be aghast at the fact that the president is going to profit from the next g7 do does anybody here doubt that he'll get away with it well, I mean, this gets back to what we were just saying, right? Yeah. The, yeah. the president yep. has been profiting. I mean, the Secret Service pays rent at Trump Tower. All these weekends at Bedminster, at the course in Virginia. I mean, all of this has been lining the president. Even the attorney general is going to have his Scottish rights, like a uh, Christmas party at the Trump Hotel here <laughs> in D.C. You know, yes. I, I mean, William Barr, this is one of, I know we're, we're a ways away from our favorite stories of the week. This isn't even my favorite story of the week, so I'll, <laughs> let's talk about it. Right? <laughs> William Barr, the attorney general of the United States, is having his 
his family Christmas party where they sing like Scottish and Irish like songs and and drink into the night. And he plays who among us. Who among us? And he plays the back. He yeah. plays the bagpipes. Of course he does, right? You know he's a good cop. <laughs> Normal you know, like family the, stuff. <laughs> <laughs> all, all good cops should know how to play the bagpipes, right? And you know he so he's gonna pay like something like thirty grand or something to host his like. No, party. that's what they're gonna profit. No, that's the profit the hotel will make. They'll pay a lot more than. So, that. Yeah, it, I mean, because it, it's an open bar, and this is not the Justice Department Christmas party. Um, the, you know, the, this is this is his his own personal is, party. Is he the suck upiest member of the he administration? Really, it's, it's I mean, really, he really might be. Yeah, it's and, yeah. and, and you know, apparently there so, were just no other places available in Washington. No. And, and one one point for <laughs> listeners outside of D.C., I have been to the Trump Hotel many times because you know, covering this administration, we're all drawn into the fact that there's a, a flow of cash towards the president, and it is is shockingly overpriced. Oh, yeah. um, you know, the the average drinks there are are prices that would make me think twice in Manhattan um, and we're here in D.C. I mean, you know, the average meal there will cost 20% more than a, a fancy restaurant or hotel elsewhere in D.C. Right. Meanwhile, most of the news this week, uh, toward the end of the week, was focused on uh, Hurricane or Tropical Storm Dorian uh, heading for, now heading for Florida, Originally heading for Puerto Rico, expected to really slam the island. Um, So what do you do when uh, American citizens are in the way of a killer storm? You call them the most corrupt place on earth. And you steer (laughs) millions of dollars in resources away from them. From FEMA to use on... Uh uh, Immigration enforcement. The wall. Um, Is it too much to expect... Any empathy of, yes. from the President of the United States toward yes, it is. <laughs> people in the path of a killer storm yes, who is. happen to be hunter American citizens? Well, you know, when the whole Greenland thing happened, I was thinking this. I was like... God, that was like a week ago. Yeah, but I was like... <laughs> <laughs> a lifetime. We, I, I say this as someone who was just in Puerto Rico in May. You know, that island is still suffering. It went through a lot. And, and you know, we might want to take care of our own semi-autonomous island territories before we start bringing in new ones. That's just a, you know, a thought. But yeah, the, the, the response he had between when Florida was in danger and when Puerto Rico was in danger, it was really stark. And look, they feel it down there. I mean, this is, you know, we, th- we think of Latinos as part of sort of the minority democratic bloc. But Puerto Rico is a little more complicated. It is a... It's a you know, lot more complicated. <laughs> they have their own political parties, right? It, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it, they have the whole statehood issue, and there's divides on that. Um, but, you know, there's a big conservative Christian component there. They had a Republican governor, the guy who just resigned. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they, they are willing to vote Republican. and Their congressional delegate is a Republican. And yeah. yet... Since this issue with Maria, when you go down there, they detest the president to the point when you're a tourist visiting the mainland within five minutes, especially if you speak Spanish, you're hearing that they hate the president. And this is a big problem for Trump. And I'll tell you why, because he may think that Florida and Puerto Rico are these separate entities and he has to be nice to Florida and can be mean to Puerto Rico. But in the wake of the devastation of Maria, about 2 million, I believe, Puerto Ricans moved particularly to the Orlando area. There are now more Puerto Ricans in Florida than New York City, which was the biggest Puerto Rican Hmm. community. There's also a lot of Puerto Ricans in Georgia. So they are suddenly a block in key potential Boy, are those states, states uh, that he would need to win to be reelected? <laughs> yeah, so, so you would think that Dorian would have been an opportunity for him to potentially fix this, but I, I just don't know if it's on his campaign's radar. Right. 
Um, he also said, Jason, uh, quote, I'm the best thing that ever happened to Puerto Rico. Do you it, think there's one person on the island who would agree with that statement? I, I'm not sure if they have some sort of distant Trump relative on the, on the <laughs> island. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, it, it's the... the there is a performance aspect to the president, and and he's just following suit. I mean, this is this is what you do when you're when you're living in his you know sort of world in the way that he wants to communicate. So it it actually doesn't. I mean, not to be a cynic, far be far be far be it for me to be a cynic, but this is this is what I would expect. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I was in the Oval when he was with um, the former governor, and I was the one who asked him, how would you score your response to Hurricane Maria? Uh, and he said he'd give himself a 10. I was only surprised he didn't say 11. <laughs> Before we take a break, um, we've talked so much about Donald Trump. Um, Aaron Ruper from, from Fox, Vox. Vox, I'm sorry, from Vox, <laughs> not Fox, but Vox, um, put out a very interesting video yesterday. Um, listen to it and then kick it around. But here, he was making the point that the president's speech patterns have really changed in the last couple of years and kind of raising the question, what does this mean as something we should be concerned about it? Uh, so thanks to Aaron Ruper, here is uh, Donald Trump in 2015 running for president. I don't need anybody's money, it's nice. I don't need anybody's money. I'm using my own money. I'm not using the lobbyists. I'm not using donors. I don't care. I'm really rich. I'll show you that in a second. And the point is not what he's talking about, but his energy, his animation and everything. This is the president. So this is Friday morning, yesterday, Thursday in the Rose Garden. Since we came into the administration, since the election of 2016, since January 20th of 2017, we have done things with the military that few people would have thought possible. Pretty striking. Have you noticed that difference, Hunter? I mean, a big difference I notice, and uh, you know, I wasn't there for those most recent remarks, but there's a teleprompter Trump and there's um, mm -hmm. you know, a stump Trump. Yeah, and he sounds like he did in 2015 still at rallies. Yeah, I, I think I think this is probably an unfair comparison because whenever I see him reading off the teleprompter, he is not that animated. Um, he hates it. And, and he often <laughs> does it in the Rose Garden. But yeah. when you get him, as Addie was saying, when you get him on the rallies, the, you know, when he gets to do his, his uh, tangents and his flights of fancy, he's as animated. He's still the same old Trump. Is that your impression? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I've certainly seen that animated Trump too, and in, in, on the on the stump, but it it is. It, let's not forget that the presidency is among the most stressful jobs, you know, in in the world. It's a constant level of distraction, of anxiety, um, and it ages you. And and the, this is somebody whose image depends on people thinking that he's not aging, that he is this, you know, very youthful, energetic person. And it's just, it, I think it catches up to you eventually. And, and covering the presidency yeah. ages you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> You've seen that with everybody. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here. It is the uh, Bill Press pod table uh, with uh, Hunter Walker and Jason Dick and Addie Baird. We'll be right back. I want to tell you that we're brought to you today by the great Iron Workers Union, the men and women of the Iron Workers Union under President Eric Dean. They're busy out there building America today and ready to rebuild America's infrastructure tomorrow. 
if the United States Congress ever gets its stuff uh, together, uh, the iron workers will be there ready to go. We salute them. Thank them for the good work and their support of the uh, Bill Press podcast. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Jason Dick, Hunter Walker, Addy Baird. We were talking uh, about the president's uh, performance at the rallies. One thing we hear about the rallies is lock her up. And when it comes to James Comey, it's lock him up. Is he going to be locked up after the latest uh, Department of Justice report that James Comey um, did leak a memo, uh, asked that a memo of his about his conversations with the president be leaked to a reporter by from the New York Times? Kosher, Hunter? I mean, you know, I I guess the, we, were t- we were talking about how little... Um, ethics regulations matter, but I guess they do when you're James Comey and when you're one of the president's targets in the FBI, right? Yeah. Uh, So, Addy, you know, the president has called James Comey a leaker and a liar. Yes, he has. Um, One of the things in in Looks like he was right? In some ways. The one thing that Comey seized on, um, you know, was that the report found that Comey never leaked classified information. And that's something that Trump has said many times. Um, And Comey tweeted yesterday, I just, everything happens on Twitter in an exhausting way. But Comey tweeted, DOJ IG found no evidence that Comey, or this is a quote from it, that Comey or his attorneys released any of the classified information contained in any of the memos to members of the media. And then Comey adds, I don't need a public apology from those who defamed me, but a quick message 
message with a sorry we lied about you would be nice. And this tweet just makes me feel crazy. That like James Comey is literally on Twitter being like, say sorry to me. Um, it, it's just crazy. But I mean, it, it is an important point that uh, he didn't leak classified information. But a leaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But his uh, memos, well, that, it doesn't quite have the same like cachet as but her emails. Uh, I mean, I, yes, he violated department policy. Uh, it doesn't sound like they're going to prosecute. It doesn't even sound like there's going to be any hearings. Even Lindsey Graham, you know, couldn't muster uh, up enough uh, sort of fake indignation to say that he might like even have a hearing in the Judiciary Committee about this. I mean, this this seems to be... I, I, I seriously wonder about the number of people who think that this is a big grievance. I mean, I just see even even the people at, at the, the most like, you know, die hard, you know, I love the president people like, is this do they even understand what this is? You well, know, and, 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 I, and I, I question whether they do. I was just going to say, it's also that like this is one of the most normal things in the world right. is that like you have, uh, yeah. you know, administration officials giving reporters you know, important mm-hmm. but not classified information. Right. It's the most normal thing in the world. Right. There's one person <laughs> in all of Washington who doesn't leak or didn't leak, and that's Robert Mueller. Well, but but <laughs> I, was actually, I was actually just thinking of Bob Mueller because, you know, it, 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 this isn't the biggest thing in the world, but it is fair to note that there is a contrast between how James Comey has conducted himself and how Bob Mueller conducted himself mm-hmm. and how an FBI agent or leader is supposed to conduct themselves. I mean, and we saw this in in the 2016 elections when James Comey kind of inserted himself um, into the Hillary Clinton saga. And, you know, I think there's been a couple instances where James Comey and his desire to be a resistance figure, as Addie said, Twitter victim and pundit, has maybe made made it more about himself than he needed to. But yeah. Yes. Uh, so just, lock him up is what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> just breaking news: Donald Trump has just tweeted. Like, nothing are, makes me more scared. What we than are those talking words. about: uh, Donald Trump tweeting just moments ago. The fact, quote, the fact that James Comey was not prosecuted for the absolutely horrible things he did just shows how fair and reasonable Attorney General Bill Barr is. <laughs> what? So many people and experts that I have watched and read would have taken an entirely different course. Comey got lucky. Wait, 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 wait. So he's sort of praising and yet slamming Bill wow. Barr. Good investment on that holiday party, Bill. <laughs> what? Yeah. I don't even, I can't really even process that. I'm reminded of going to the Turning Point USA uh, conservative youth activist conference a couple of weeks ago, and they had a video um, showing, uh, <laughs> I, I was covering the president's speech, and and they had a video showing sort of what they saw as highlights of, of the 2016 race, and it included President Trump promising to prosecute Hillary Clinton which he didn't do. So, you know, yet again, we have him like saying a rival should be prosecuted. Hmm, if only the president had some power over that and he doesn't really want to do it. He knows it's not possible. This is just red meat for the base. Right. Okay, let's uh, jump into politics here for uh, for a couple of minutes. Um, so far, there's been like nothing to talk about on the Republican side because it was all going to be Donald Trump, Donald Trump. Suddenly, now we've got Joe Walsh, former congressman, jump again, joining Bill Weld. Mark Sanford is thinking about running. And uh, on my last podcast, I talked to Anthony Scaramucci, who says, you know, I'm serious about this. I'm, he's, he said, the mooch, 
He said he's going to organize. He's organizing and will announce next week creation of a pack. He's talking to three or four serious candidates. Remember when he was doing a media outlet? Did yeah. Remember the Twitter, the, the Scaramucci post. post. <laughs> <laughs> remember when he tweeted a poll that was like, "How many Jews do you think died in the Holocaust?" <laughs> just really feel like we all moved right on yeah. past that one. I guess what we're saying is we're not going to take the mooch seriously. <laughs> no, and I, you know, I think it's really important. Again, this is someone who's like, you know, trying to brand themselves as something. And, you know, I used to work at Business Insider uh, around 2014, and we covered Scaramucci a lot as sort of this A- eager, loud Romney backer on Wall Street, then a Scott Walker backer heading mm -hmm. into 2016, um, and also someone who really, really, really wanted to be a visible Wall Street person, he attached himself to Trump fairly late. He did get this highly visible, really rapid 11-day stint in the White House, but this is not a longtime Trump insider or loyalist as he paints himself to be. And I think that's really important. And as we saw with the Scaramucci Post, this also <laughs> isn't someone who follows through a ton. Yep. I, I think he's trying to sell his own books and his own brand. He's pushed himself and his wife for a reality career in TV. I mean, I, 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 I find him fundamentally unserious. Well, one point that he made to me, uh, Jason, is that for the Republican Party, he said, anybody like Jeff Flake who says, I'm going to wait until 2024, uh, is wrong and make a big mistake, that you have no standing, he says, Scaramucci, to run in 2024 if you pass on 2020. I think, I mean, I get the, I, God help me, I get the reasoning behind that because, uh, <laughs> uh, because I, I do feel like it is important to, um, to make make you know make your political points and and if you don't agree with the direction of the country i mean it, it is a free country you can run for president um let's i mean reality check right i mean joe walsh mark sanford bill weld are not going to go very the th far the three you know? stooges yeah. <laughs> i mean they, they i mean they yeah. each each one of them i mean has a has a certainly a, their own sort of unique standing i mean weld uh you know I, I saw him at the political soapbox in iowa at the, at the iowa state fair and i think that if he hadn't if he hadn't been uh, you know had signage announcing who he was i think it would have been difficult to distinguish him from just any other sort of um Fair goer. Old, fair goer, older gentleman, perhaps dressed a little nicer uh, than than, than, yeah. your, than your average, you know, person there. But and, and it was he made, but he you know he used to be like on the cusp as a Republican, right? I mean, he was the governor of Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, you know, he's he's written a couple of funny books about politics. I mean, he's he seems like a fundamentally like a political person, and he won't get very far. But I think he just is like you know I I can't idly stop you know now that now that Kasich has just said i'm exhausted right <laughs> like i'm just I'll, I'll 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 take the bullet here you know so um on the democratic side we're down to the next debate we'll have 10 people on stage not 20 uh one night not two uh and the last poll shows basically the top five but all all of the top five meaning joe and bernie and elizabeth warren and kamala harris and pete Buttigieg, beating donald trump by Nine, at least nine points. Buddha Judge was nine. The rest were over ten. Are we down to the top five or six? Do you think in the Democratic Party, anybody else have a chance to cut through? I mean, it's it's up and down. But what do you think right now? I think Addie? we're probably getting there. I I, I I've long said that this um, this debate was really going to be the 
narrowing force. Um, granted, you know, only Gillibrand has dropped out since not qualifying, but I, there's no chance that like Bill de Blasio has a lot more <laughs> gas in the tank. Um, yeah, I think, I, I don't know if we're down to like five or, I mean, I guess maybe, like I don't have a lot of Klobuchar's in the debate, but I don't think Klobuchar is really a top tier candidate. Um, I feel similarly about O'Rourke, um, you know, so I think, I think we're getting there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Jason? I, I think this is, I, I agree with Addy, that this has been a, a sort of a natural winnowing. And, you know, some of the, some of the candidates who did not make the debate cut, uh, you know, Steve Bullock, the the uh, uh, governor of Montana, they bring up, you know, what what could be seen as valid points about, you know, whether the DNC rules are arbitrary and, and moving too early and so forth. But it's it's also, to me, I mean, at some point you have to draw a line. I mean, one of the things that I heard over and over again in Iowa is that there are too many candidates. I mean, and, and that they're waiting for this winnowing. And, I mean, it seems like if you're if you're at this stage where we're a little, you know, we're, we're 14 months out or so, a little over 14 months out from the next election, and we're only a few months away from the Iowa caucuses and New Hampshire and so forth, I mean, at some point you have to – you have to register more than two percent of the vote in a in a poll, um, and and you have to show that you have like donors. I mean, and yes, it's arbitrary, but it's like that's the way. I mean, everybody well, knew what the rules also, were. Right? It's also like. Yes, it's arbitrary, but these things are, um, I don't think that a candidate who is barely getting 2% in a poll, who doesn't have, you know, what is 120,000 donor, 130, 130. a candidate who can't get those things right now isn't going to win. And, you know, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden had these things in the first week of their campaign. And so it's just, I think on some level, it's like, yes, it's arbitrary, but it's also like... You have to draw a line somewhere. You have to, at some point. I mean, I remember I I hit some of the early states in late uh, 2018. Um, And, you know, Cory Booker, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, these people were already doing groundwork. Um, And I remember thinking, where's Gillibrand? Because I'm I'm coming out of New York. She'd been touted as someone who was eyeing this race forever. And I was like, whoa, she hasn't even made phone calls to some of the union folks out here. And I think, you know, some people don't realize what they need to do in terms of groundwork. I I do think as media, we do make a bit of a mistake and we um, focus too much on national polls, which are essentially meaningless Mm -hmm. in the primary universe. And there are some interesting things I see out there, like Cory Booker is a little stronger than I think he gets credit for. Um, If you look at some of the early state numbers, Bill Weld, 8% in New Hampshire. There's a little bit of, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a theory behind his case that the other Republicans don't have. So there's some interesting stuff there but you know by and large none of these other people i mean i the other day i was trying to tweet about how i always forget that tim ryan is still running for president and i realized i forgot like five of the other people who are still running for president and quite honestly i couldn't have picked i'm a political reporter you do this for a living (laughs) yeah i i can't name all the people right now without without double checking Mm -hmm. myself and i also until i realized that tim ryan looked like the weird love child of Bill de Blasio and Glenn Greenwald, I was not able to pick him. That is exactly what he looks like. We love at BuzzFeed, we love a poll, obviously, or like a quiz, and we have made so many quizzes that are basically just like different versions of like, can you recognize all these dudes? <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't, can't. I, I can't pick. I, I couldn't pick Steve Bullock. Steve Bullock could walk in here right now, and I wouldn't know who he was. And he, I think most cowboys the same way. Seth Moulton literally walked into our office, and it took me a second. And I was like, who's 
Then I was like, oh, right, running for president. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. that kind of wraps up the Democratic field right now, <laughs> I, uh, I think, with a bunch of enthusiasm. Um, we always like to end with a favorite story of the week. Uh, all of us do this for a living, and we're into it up to our uh, armpits every week. But once in a while, this is one story that just kind of captures our attention. Um, what's yours for the week, Jason? I'm going to actually jump back across the pond uh, to, uh-huh. to, uh, to Britain. This, the story about Boris Johnson requesting that the Queen, Queen. suspend <laughs> Parliament. It, I mean, if and this, she did it. And she did it. Well, I mean, she does, she re- let's, let's be honest. She doesn't have any power. I mean, yeah. I mean she, she has to acquiesce in, in, the, in this kind of thing. Um, and she's also, you know, she couldn't take time off from her vacation in Scotland <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> like, to, to delve into, you know, the future of the country. A lot of Scotland <laughs> on this podcast. Yeah, there's so much Scotland. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, to me, this, 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 if you look a little deeper into the story, there's, it's just such a rich vein. You know, the, David Cameron, the, the former, you know, prime minister, he did not have to have the referendum on Brexit. He had it and it blew up in his face. Uh, and and then he resigned, and then we get Theresa May, who can't like negotiate a deal on it, giving way to Boris Johnson, who is you know again he is he'll be written about for sure as as this like you know very um, colorful character in, in British politics. He can't get his way, or he he's trying to force a the, the European Union to make a you know a better deal. And can't get his way, so he asked to suspend the the people of Britain's democratically elected representatives, so they don't have any time to to negotiate something. And you know, the, and the whole thing. I mean, what what does Johnson and what do some of the, so many of the pro Brexiteers want out of this deal? Well, they want to have their cake and eat it too. They want to be separate, but they want all of the advantages of being in the European Union, like no food or medicine shortages and so mm-hmm. forth. And they don't want a hard border with Northern Ireland because they remember bombs going off in the last couple of decades. So they want everything that goes along with it, but they don't want to pay the price. And and right. as a result, we have minority rule. A minority of the minority ruling. And also the other thing I love about it too is that in Britain, when somebody does, when the leader of your party does something you don't agree with, you just quit. I mean, like like all these ministers <laughs> yeah. just quit. Yeah. Like that is not the case in Washington. People don't quit. Yeah. They just seem to cower and hold on to their job. I, I, I believe the technical <laughs> term in England, you don't quit, you bid good day to you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is a noble tradition, I think, those, uh, those honorable resignations, yeah. How about you, Hunter? What caught your attention? Oh, man. Um, all right, I'll do a real quick lightning round. There's, okay. there's a really dark story that um, folks should read. They should really read the criminal complaint with this top Hollywood lobbyist who um, got into a dispute with his lover that he found on SeekingArrangement.com. Um, that's a great DC story folks should look mm. into. I also love the Brett Stevens bed bug scandal. Oh. Um, but I think the winner for me... Again. The winner for me is a subplot that relates to what we were just talking about, which is out of all of the marginal Democrats, John Delaney is starting to get weird and dark. And I really encourage people to look up appearances where John Delaney is asked the very reasonable question, sir, you have no chance. And he gets so angry and intense that it's kind of amazing. My, my colleague and I had this experience of doing this to him at the Detroit debate where I was like, you have no chance. He was like, I got a great chance. And he tried to walk away. He walked right into her. And she asked him about the report, his staff's leaving him. He grabbed this poor young man. He was like, my staff 
Hoffer's right here. Um, and he's it, jacked too. Like he's, he's a really so strong jacked. dude. Yeah. He's crazy. He, he wore this really tight polo shirt at one of the loves a tight polo shirt. He, work, he, he lifts weights every single night. Like after a hard day of defeat on the campaign trail, he goes and he works <laughs> out. I think he, like, this guy Whoa. is like is Whoa. he's like roid rage. I was just gonna say, is it roid rage? <laughs> I, I don't know, but it's really intense. And then my you heard it here first. I think I think it's existential despair. My, my favorite was asking us. Tom Perez about the winnowing, and I said, "Are you ignoring the Delaney momentum?" And Tom Perez said to me, "I don't understand your question." <laughs> All right, enough on John Delaney. Eddie. <laughs> Never enough on John Delaney. Eddie Baird, can you top that? I absolutely can. I am honored to go last to tell you that my favorite story of the week was a GQ profile of Harry Styles, a former One Direction band member, current rock star. Um, and it's genuinely an excellent story. Uh, as a young woman myself, I uh, have long loved One Direction. And it is really a fascinating story of, you know, how you uh, how Harry Styles grew out of this boy band into like a really formidable musician and um, did a lot of psychedelics and uh, <laughs> you know like every good rock star and it's just a really great story it's a great profile um, and uh, I love Harry Styles and that's the best story of the week there you go <laughs> alright spoken from the perspective of Addie Baird young political reporter for BuzzFeed so my favorite story of the week is the chicken sandwich war the Popeye oh. chicken sandwich can you believe it so Popeye comes up with this Popeye of all people come up with this new chicken sandwich. Did you have one? I have no, because they <laughs> ran out. That's there's, the yeah, story. And there's a Popeye's just right down the street. It's it, so, yeah. Just down here on 8th Street, yeah. if I had known. And the lines were blocks long uh, outside of every Popeye franchise. The lines of cars outside the drive-ins. They had to have police at many locations just to, to handle the traffic. It was three ninety nine, and then Chick-fil-A responded and then KFC responded with a new chicken sandwich of their own. And it got to the point where Popeye ran out of chicken. I don't even understand that They don't that have enough possible. chicken to make these chicken sandwiches. So they have suspended the new chicken sandwich until sometime next month. And, I, I wonder, when they're, going to, and they're looking around for more chicken. <laughs> I, I'll tell you guys. More, more suppliers. Late, we need more chicken. More Late chicken. breaking news. China just texted me. And, and as part of they the trade chicken. war, they're releasing a General Tso's chicken sandwich. So, so get ready, everyone. Chaos pod. <laughs> I'm going to go take some shrooms and listen to One Direction. <laughs> Uh, well, that's kind of it, I think, for this week. <laughs> for this week's pod table. Uh, many thanks to our uh, intrepid panel of chicken lovers here, Addie Baird, Hunter Walker, and Jason Dick. Thanks to all of you for listening. Now, please do us and do yourself a big favor. If you haven't already done so, go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or tune in and subscribe to the Bill Press Pod. That way you won't miss any of our upcoming podcasts. And while you're there... If you really want to make us happy, give us a five-star rating. There's no better way to help our podcast grow and grow. And don't miss the next podcast, a brutally honest look at the state of U.S.-Israeli relations and the unholy alliance between Donald Trump and Benjamin Netanyahu. That's up next. Until then, thanks again to our panel. Thanks to all of you. Stay strong, and we'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. <laughs>